peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the entree musician and so are you. Welcome to another episode of the Entree Musician Podcast. This is the place where we concentrate on the mindset, focus, and discipline of the Entree Musician. And uh, I tell you what, i have enjoying 2020. I'm telling you, um, we're here in February already. I mean, boom, we're moving through the weeks fast. Uh, obviously, when you are as old as I am, it seems like uh, weeks pass like days. But I'm enjoying myself. I'm grateful for this uh, new decade. I just turned 55 years old, and uh, <laughs> we're going to do a special podcast on that in just a few days. Uh, it seems like uh, most of my close friends, we share birth days in February. And so one of the lists that uh, I'm making is 55 things that I've learned in my 55 years. So I'll do a podcast about that because I think you'll, you know, if you're much younger than I am, uh, you would do well in appreciating some of the things (laughs) that I've learned um, in over a half century of being on this planet. But what we are going to talk about here on this episode is actually we're going to begin a series uh, that's going to take us through four or five uh, different episodes here at The Entree Musician. And uh, these are things that I've blogged about. Uh, some of these topics are on our YouTube channel if you want to go back and and uh, look at some of those videos. But uh, I've updated uh, some of the content because I think it's important here to um, concentrate on what it means to be in a band. And uh, we're going to take a 360-degree look at that, um, whether you are the band leader or you are the side person um, hired for the gig, or even if you are just a sub and uh, what all of those things uh, mean. I have been blessed to be all band leader, uh, side man, as well as a sub on just a few gigs and uh, what you bring to the table, uh, what you can learn from the experience. And uh, this podcast uh, platform allows us to go just a little bit deeper uh, than we could on video, at least, um, you know, I don't want people looking at me for that long of a time. So anyway, uh, you know, we're going to go deeper into what this means. So the title for the series that we are going to embark on is You and Your Band. So today and next week specifically, I'm going to concentrate on some of the mistakes that I've made and then set the proper platform for building the mindset for said band. But before we do that, as you know, We always need to do this, and that is talk about our friends at Vocal. Vocal is the only beverage on the planet which is designed to soothe, refresh, and restore your voice. So if you talk all day like I sometimes do, or you sing all night, you definitely, absolutely must get yourself some Vocal. Go to drinkvocal.com to learn more. So now, today, using myself as a guinea pig, I want to discuss seven major mistakes that I've made as a band leader. And these have been some blunders, so you might want to take some notes. 
Now, author and uh, speaker, I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Dennis Waitley, but he once said that mistakes, mistakes are painful when they happen. But years later, a collection of mistakes is what's called experience. (laughs) So these seven things that I'm sharing with you today is definitely blunders that I can now tuck away as experience. And the first one, uh, number one, I've talked about this before, and uh, it seems to have led to my um, being derailed many times, and that is the fact that I have failed to plan. Now, I've, I've blogged on this point several times, and it really does continue to climb to the number one spot for things going wrong as an entree musician. I mean, there are many times where there are true emergencies which surface, and obviously the unexpected rears its head, but most often it's our failure to look at projects and performances from a 360-degree angle and, and to dissect all of the components. I mean, checklist are the best friend to an entree musician. Uh, It's as important as rehearsing or practicing your instrument. You know, you ask questions of your team and then you ask other questions and then you ask other questions. You have to ask yourself, have I really considered everything? And many times I, I confess, I didn't ask these questions and I fumbled the ball every time. Now, Dr. Uh, Stephen Covey, we've mentioned uh, his book, most famous book before, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he marks this as number two, begin with the end in mind. That's his second principle. And my number one blunder is when I fail to plan. Number two in my list of mistakes is I really didn't pay attention to the numbers. And I think I've confessed this before here. I've definitely confessed it on our YouTube channel that I'm not a numbers guy. You know, I'm, I'm in the English major. I'm not uh, all, you know, hung up on numbers. And uh, I did not get the adage that numbers don't lie. I mean, so when I would, when I would rely on what my gut was telling me, I I just went for it. I did not budget appropriately. I underestimated cost and I overestimated the profits. You know, I half-heartedly listened to my accountant who is a radical, obsessive numbers guy. And he warned me, he cautioned me, he chided me, but I disobeyed his advice and I did the gig anyway. Furthermore, it was costing me in taxes. I mean, Although I had the software which would calculate the inventory for me, my merch, uh, that software was relying on me to punch in the numbers, right? Right? What, what use is having the software and not utilizing it? But I was too lazy, I was slow, and I was stupid. I was too stupid to do it myself or to hire someone to do it for me. So I lost huge money. I didn't pay attention to the numbers. And so that's number two. Number one, I failed to plan. Number two, I didn't pay attention to the numbers. Number three, early on especially, I did too many promotional gigs. Now exposure, that word exposure, I'm using the finger quotes, can be a very tricky word for the entree musician. And when I say tricky, substitute the word dirty. (laughs) <laughs> okay, because especially when you're first starting out, 
promoters and venue owners will say that word 12 times or more during your first phone call, cementing into your psyche that you actually need them to reach the audience you're after. And the truth is, more often than not, you will. But you should know when you don't need them. And I didn't know. So I spent the better part of our first two years, I'm talking about my band Sound Doctrine, I've spent the better part of the first two years counting on free gigs to get our name out there, often very afraid to ask for money. And promoters would promise us things like, you know, if you do this event for me this year and you do it for exposure, I mean, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of people there. Sometimes they would say thousands, which there were hundreds, you know, in, in large cases. But the thing about it is they would promise that they say, do it this year. Next year, I'll automatically include you on the roster. But the truth of the matter is it never happened. Never happened. And I would call back and they wouldn't answer. They wouldn't text. You know what I'm saying? You know, so finally, when I begin to actually charge some real money for the band, I felt stupid that I had gone so far down the road without requesting actual moolah, you know? And unless the performance was related to the right radio or TV audience, I have eschewed the dirty word promotional or exposure. I mean, there are some times you're going to have to do it, but you're going to have to know when and you're going to have to know when to stop. I'll tell you um, truly about a situation. I think we were three, maybe three and a half uh, uh, years into Sound Doctrine. And I'm being very transparent here because it took me really about three years, three and a half years to learn how to charge exactly what we were worth. And now along the way, I really did. I mean, this is bringing a strain on the band. Uh, it's bringing a strain on the band members because at some point, I mean, you're sticking with a guy for two years. You're expecting that there was some pay. Now, not to say that there were not paying gigs in the middle of that. However, they were not sustainable. You understand what I mean? So guys, obviously, ladies as well, would begin picking up, you know, other gigs that were actual paying gigs, which meant that put me in a position of having to get a sub to learn the songs, to show up at the rehearsals, all that. So so let me tell you about a time when I actually went for it and charged some real money. And the promoter of the gig said, oh, OK, well, who do I make the deposit out to? I mean, didn't even think about it. Meaning that, Jerry, I did not evaluate how well we were doing that we had crossed over the threshold of name recognition. By this time, we had two CDs out, one which was charting and, and, and creating some major buzz for us. And I felt great. And then I felt stupid at the same time. I felt great because, wow, you know, I mean, there was no negotiation. He took out his ink pen and the checkbook of the organization. The reason I felt stupid was because I said, man, if I knew <laughs> if I knew he was going to say yes immediately to this price, I would have went up another thousand. Do you understand what I mean? Really created a conversation. But the fact of the matter is, I did not know. I did too many promotional gigs. So that's number three. Number four is 
I didn't sign any agreements. Early on, I didn't sign any agreements at all. I went by word of mouth. Now, here's a phrase I want you to repeat after me right now, no matter where you're at. Even if you're driving, you can repeat this. Say, I cannot repossess my performance. Say it. That's right. I cannot repossess my performance. Once you have sung your song or played your kazoo, that's it. You can't take it back. If the venue owner has stuffed you on the shekels, then you better have sold a ton of merch so you can get back home. Provided you had an agreement which allowed you to keep 100% of the funds anyway. And the answer is yes. Yes, I did drive the Sound Doctrine van all the way to Philadelphia on a mere verbal agreement. I'm in Youngstown, Ohio. The gig was in Philadelphia. The year was 2006. And the promoter began to explain to me every reason why he couldn't pay me what he had promised to over the phone. Now, of course, now we don't even start the van until we get it in writing. Has to be in writing. Say it again. Has to be in writing. I don't care if it's, if it's a $500 gig. Has to be in writing. Here, sign this. And any reputable promoter or club owner would not mind at all signing an agreement if he or she is good on their word. No problem. Doesn't have to be a four or five page contract with a lot of verbiage that means nothing but what an attorney could understand. It's just, we agree to show up at this time, load in is that time, we're gonna play at this time. If there's a deposit, the deposit is due at this date, the gig is that date, and all is well, boom. You know, three or more lines, that's it. It's over, but one of my major mistakes is I went word of mouth, too trustworthy. Number five, is I did not promote often enough or accurately. So this specific flaw began before the now normal social media blitz. This is where we are now. But I began making my mistakes way before this happened. You know, my earlier methods morphed into big mistakes because I kept attempting to make our social media platforms behave like traditional marketing or promotion. So early on, to save money, I didn't do enough promotion, and I was trying to get by with the subpar posters and flyers that don't properly convey our brand or much else. You know, I became a little bit more savvy with getting Sound Doctrine, our band on radio and TV segments, but <laughs> early on, the hours of our appearances were unsustainable. You know, nobody was awake at four in the morning, and those who were were on their way to work or home from work. And it took me a while to really build a base socially, but even when I did grab a foothold, it seemed and I'm telling you, you know, it just seemed like I was always on the back end of what was trending months earlier. So now I try to work with professionals uh, to get me to understand what I need to do, where I'm at. And again, my age 
and the type of music that my band does, the type of productions that I do, you know, I have to weigh how much promotion often enough and more accurately enough. Now, there's websites, there's uh, there, there's plenty of YouTube videos. Um, I could recommend a hundred or more, but um, Ariel Hyatt really does have a handle on marketing yourself. Uh, she's giving me no kickback for saying this. Maybe she's listening to the podcast or not. I don't know. But, you know, I found valuable articles on her website for promoting yourself often, or you can obviously hire her <laughs> if you wanted to. But that was a big mistake for me. Number five, I did not promote myself often or accurately. Number six, uh, I talked about this before a little bit and with respect to number two and number three is I didn't charge enough money. And I talked about that already. The fact is, is that once you move from promotional to paid performances, you know, it has to go way beyond gas money. And as I said before, I hadn't gauged our popularity nor the momentum we were building. So instead of calculating actual cost and asking the fair amount of money, I also didn't possess the confidence to push back on the first bid. Now, I told you what happened when with the one gentleman in the organization when it finally happened and he agreed to the first number I gave him. But I began to develop a plan of what our expenses are first. OK, and that's how many cars are we taking? Are we taking because we had at the time the Sound Doctrine van, as we called it, how many people and the equipment can fit and how many cars are going to have to drive? Okay, so that's gas money that uh, the sidemen uh, shouldn't have to pay for. So that's an expense, right? Was there a hotel cost or were, you know, were there food costs that went into it? And then there is the extra band member. Now I'm going to do, you know, we're going to get deeper into that as we go on. But you have to account for the invisible band members. So say there, say there are four guys in the band, right? Say you're making 250 each on the particular gig, right? Okay. So you got the thousand, but you always add the fifth man there who doesn't exist, but you have to account for that person. So there's an extra 250 that you tack on to the total price for emergencies, for equipment, uh, for, you know, guitar strings or things that are absolutely needed. So every time I've been learning to count the invisible member, and again, we'll get into that a little deeper, but in not charging enough, that was what was eluding me. And of course, I was always under budget. I was always running the band in the red. Now, allow me to say here that the venue owner and the promoter, they need to make a profit too. This is not about just getting over on someone. This is about asking for your true worth. You know, there are some reputable, honest venue owners and promoters, and they do want to see the artist and his or her music expand. They have overhead, they have expenses and employees, and they should receive the appropriate fees for their hard work. But far too many of them are focused on their bottom line, that nothing else matters. So neophyte musicians are usually operating 
on this advanced emotional stimuli and they can't see beyond the stage. Just getting on, just get me to the stage. Just getting on the stage is what's important. But the objective is to be as passionate about receiving the income you deserve as you are about the incredible experience that you're offering to them and to their audience. And don't be afraid to say no thank you to any deal that is not best for you or for your artistry. And that was another thing, rejection. If you go back early on um, in one of our earliest episodes, there were a series of questions that I asked you to think about as an entree musician. And one of the questions is, how do you handle rejection? Because if you don't handle rejection very well, then, you know, you you are inclined to take anything that's offered to you because you don't want to be turned down. You understand what I mean? You should be on the negotiating end of being confident enough to say, no, thank you. That doesn't work for me and be able to walk away from the table. Big mistake for me early on. Number seven. Glad we're here, right? (laughs) Number seven, the final big, huge mistake that I made was I didn't stay focused. And with complete transparency, that's all I've been offering you since we began is I must say that this is an area which I continue to work on. If I'm not absolutely careful, I can allow a variety of interests to capture my attention, all which are musical and each one offering their own level of reward. But it's important that I maintain my focus that I prioritize my goals and then become brutally intentional about seeing the project from conception to completion. And as I review my career, each time that I've lost focus, I've also lost consistency. And conversely, all the gains that I've been blessed to accomplish without a doubt were the instances where I held a laser-like focus on what was most important and I worked it off until it worked out. I'm a firm believer that every entree musician can do what they set their mind to do. And many times we must do all the things that are necessary to get it done, often by ourselves, but we cannot do it all at once, right? So the next time we're faced with 12 simultaneous ideas, we pull out the scribble board and we begin asking some serious why questions, and then we move into the how of careful planning, which takes us back to step number one, always plan. So I hope that this helps. These were serious setbacks for me. And as I said before, I'm still working to be careful, especially uh, with regard to my focus. But the seven are, I failed to plan, always plan, I did not pay attention to the numbers. If you need somebody to help you in that area, please grab someone. I needed to. And then I needed to do the work that is necessary uh, for me. As I said, I have the software to do it. Now I have to plug in the numbers. Uh, If you're just starting out, gauge what spells for you too many promotional gigs. I did too many promotional gigs. That was number three. Number four was I went by word of mouth. I didn't sign any agreements. Terrible strategy. Number five is I did not promote often as I should or accurately. Let me say something about that because 
oftentimes I'll get emails from bands who are in Chicago, <laughs> you know, and they're asking me to come to a gig. Now, again, I'm in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, not to say that I don't get to Chicago enough, but, you know, I'm probably not coming Wednesday. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're planning on people who are more in your purview. So, you know, if you if you promote 50 miles out, unless it's some big, huge annual event that, you know, everybody generally travels uh, down and in my genre, everybody, I don't care who they are, where they live, they'll go to the Capital Jazz Fest because it's a three day event always down in Maryland. So for the Capital Jazz Fest to promote that, you know, and for the bands who are playing at the Capital Jazz Fest, yo, they, they know that they're going to pull, you know, people from thousands of miles. But if you are promoting to someone in Los Angeles and you live in Ohio, that's not promoting accurately. So I just wanted to stop on that. That was number five. Number six was I didn't charge enough money charge enough and we're going to go deeper into that one so that you can charge adequately for your band at the level of uh, experience that you have and the level of buzz that you've created number seven finally i did not stay focused so i hope this helps and uh, I would want for you to reach out to me at The Entree Musician. Go to TheEntreeMusician.com uh, and uh, comment. Uh, I would ask that you would please share this podcast, like it, rate it on um, iTunes, and help continue to build the momentum for The Entree Musician. You can also reach out to me directly at TheEntreeMusician at gmail.com. Or text me at 330-718-JERE. That's 718-JERE. The area code is 330. I'll text you back. Absolutely. Peace and blessings to you. And we're going to continue this series entitled You and Your Band. All right? My name is Jerry B. I am the entree musician. And so are you. We'll hook up with you next time. God bless you.